Society podcast where we take you on a time hopping journey through queer cinema going decade by decade to discover how it has evolved over the years. And we have now reached 2015 where we are going to take a look at Carol. I'm here with my co host Manish Mother. So, uh, Carol, totally overrated, right? Not looking forward to talking about this at all? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a short episode. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. But before we get into Carol, um, there were, you know, there were other queer films that came out in 2015. Uh, but I'm going to be honest, I wouldn't really want to talk about any of them. Uh, the two that jump out as far as being known uh, are Tangerine, uh, which I guess kind of got famous because it was filmed on an iPhone. Uh, that was the big deal about that movie. Yeah. Um, and and then Stonewall, um, which I still have not seen and probably never will, because uh, from everything I've heard, it's a pretty it's a pretty awful telling of the Stonewall riots, and I'm just not interested in Roland Emmerich's take on Stonewall. Yeah, I mean, I think Stonewall would have been interesting just to like dive deep into all of its problems. I haven't seen it either, but. It all just seems so like miserable. Um, Tangerine, like I think Tangerine's a pretty, it's a pretty great movie. Uh, even you know, looking past the iPhone thing, but Sean Baker has proven himself to be kind of an annoying figure. So I don't really want to talk about. Kind him. of that's that's generous. <laughs> I think yes, he's become pretty obnoxious. Yeah. Like, um, have you heard of this movie, um, Grandma, with Lily Tomlin and Julia Garner? Oh. Uh, yeah, Lily Tomlin is, like, a lesbian in her 70s who is, like, trying to help her granddaughter, played by Julia Garner, to get an abortion. They have to, like, raise the money for it. Interesting. Yeah. And, Probably might have to check that out. Yeah, it's a pretty, like, fun movie. You know, Lily Tomlin, of course, is, like, the best. Yes. And, like, it's got a great cast of, like, some really amazing uh, white ladies, so... <laughs> um, I, I recommend that movie it's like it's one of those that's like yeah it's not even an hour and a half you know but it's it's fun um, but it's the kind of thing where it's like it's a queer film because like the main character is a lesbian but it's not like you know it's not about queerness you know um, yeah but, and like and like to be honest we could not do this podcast and not cover Carol like it just, yeah, it's just yeah, so it's above. Like, it's above pretty much everything else of the of the past decade. I mean, you can make arguments for Moonlight and The Handmaiden, which we'll talk about later. But like Carol, it's Carol. Like this is a movie that you know got a bunch of award nominations and somehow is still underrated uh, in terms of that. Like it's just, it you know Todd Haynes. I mean, it's just we can't do this show and not cover this. It's just like. I would have I would have pitched a fit if you were like we're not going to cover Carol. I mean, Carol is just like, um, not. I mean, maybe this is hyperbolic, but I think it's just like a, a landmark film. Like, not even like queer mm-hmm. cinema, but just like in cinema, like or at least American cinema. Like, it's just so like, like I mean, like this movie. Like, I can like even recall like the feeling I felt when I first saw the trailer, right? And like. Mm-hmm. You know, that those like that opening theme and just like the images, the snow, like the co- I mean, just everything about it. And like, I, I mean, I when I first I have like two stories about Carol, maybe like two and a half. Um, and just like with my experience with like watching it and like uh, and interacting with it, and like, but I just I, I can remember exactly just like where I was, like what day it was, even like what date it was, like. It was just, like, one of those things, and just, like, a movie that's, like... I mean, it's popped up on a lot of, like, best of the decade lists, as we said. A lot of really annoying people love it, and are very, like, um... Uh, Some of them share my first name. I'm just gonna yeah. put it out there. <laughs> and, I mean, I definitely want to talk about that, and I want to talk about the Oscars as well, um, because I think there's just so much going on here, and, like... 
Um, I mean, this is a movie that's like, talk about a movie that's like made for me, right? Like a 1950s queer film starring like two amazing white ladies. Kate Blanchett, yeah. come on. Yes. Like, <laughs> and just like the, this like, I mean, just like the aesthetic of it is just so, like, I mean, this is a movie that feels like a 1950s movie in a lot of ways that speaks right to my taste as someone who loves the 1950s as a genre, as a decade. Um, but yeah, I just, like, this movie is just so, like, it's just, it's just Carol. Carol is Carol, you know? Like, yes, yes. And, you know, there's there's queer people involved in this. Todd Haynes, obviously, you know, has been out forever, like, because he's, you know, living in out life as a gay man. So, you know, the, the hand behind the camera um, is... There's a queer voice here, um, yeah. and it becomes very clear from the outset. And like honestly, the best the best way I can describe this movie is that it's meticulous. Like every single shot, every single frame. There's no there's no phoning it in at any point in this movie, and that goes for um, the direction, the cinematography, the music, the performances. Like we talked kind of offline about this, how like you couldn't cast a a better person than Kate Blanchett. Like she's perfect just in general, but in this movie particularly, because what this movie demands is two actresses actually, who are able to convey a lot without a lot of wordy dialogue. And they're both so good at it in such different ways. You know, we, we kind of talked about at the, you know, the very last frame of this film, uh, the look on Kate Blanchett is perfect. And it tells, it tells the novel's worth of story in a twitch of her lip. And it's just like, I don't know, you know, and Kate Blanchett obviously has been a tremendous actress for decades. Um, But this, I mean, this might be some of her best work um, or at least her most subtle work. And I don't know, of course, how much of that is her and how much of that is what Haynes is getting out of her. Probably some combination of the two, but it like, I, you know, I've said this about a couple other movies. There's very few movies that like, if you don't at a minimum, appreciate the craft behind this movie i'm not sure i can trust your opinion of movies like this is carol is just about a perfect movie there's no missteps um and one thing that i really love that it doesn't do is that it doesn't vilify the men necessarily there is a certain amount of empathy for the men in these two women's lives. Oh, wow. There are some choices that these men make that are not great. Uh, but I don't think I don't think it's a movie that you're necessarily designed to be like, oh, these these monsters, you know, like I didn't get that feeling from it. You know, you do you do get a couple moments um, with with her husband where given the fact that he was, you know, in a relationship with this woman for years, had a kid with her, you at some level kind of understand his confusion. You don't understand the choices he makes later, but there is some amount of character that's here that wouldn't be in a lesser movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, you say it and then it makes sense, but like my... I guess my reaction, my interpretation of the movie, that this movie just, like, doesn't even register that these men, like, have points of view. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, like, I, like, to me, like, we were talking about, you know, the patriarchy in, like, the last, in our last episode on Pride, but I think this movie does it even more, where it's, like, um, like, these, like, the men in this film are just so... Like this movie, I, I feel like this movie actually doesn't have time to empathize with them. It doesn't really have any interest either. I mean, it's, I mean, it's more. I mean, definitely more so with Jake Lacey's character, who is uh, you know, Rooney Mara's, you know, beau. I guess you mean professional nice man Jake Lacey. Like, it's just, like all throughout this movie, like you're just kind of like. Yeah, you're just uh, and I think this is to be said of most of the male characters act actually is there's a lot of blandness because you're not supposed to be drawn to them. Yeah. You're supposed to be drawn to Carol and Therese like and I think you are and you get it, you know, especially in that that moment where they first meet. You know, where she's wearing the Santa hat and everything. I mean, it's just a magic moving moment and you don't get that with any of the male characters. Like I think um uh, I think Cal Chandler plays Harge, which is like maybe the worst name in the history of the world. Just a, just a bad name. You just knew he was going to be boring. Yeah. Um, he's like, 
he just he fits the stereotype of that boring, bland, good-looking man from the fifties. I think Cal Chandler. Yeah. It's the perfect. He's perfectly cast here. Like it's just, it's just fantastic. So you're not, you're not drawn, drawn to any of them. You know, you might be drawn to like maybe Abby, Sarah Paulson's character, because there's actual history there between her and yeah. Carol that's different than what's going on from her and Therese. And honestly, you could make a whole nother movie about Abby and Carol, like yeah. a flight, like a you know set in the past. I would watch that. In Carol a Origins. <laughs> Yes, that's right. I'm ready. Give me that. Yeah, <laughs> Wolverine, call, not interested. Yeah, Carol, right. let's, let's go. Call, uh, James Mingle or whoever made that. Uh, no, but I, I mean, <laughs> no, don't do that. I don't want it. <laughs> I think that like what, why this movie is so radical is that like it's so like within this like female gaze or this female lens, and. Um, and just like the power of these like glances and these looks are so palpable mm-hmm. that like I mean it takes like you know spoiler but it takes like about an hour for Carol and Rooney Mara's character Therese to like go to bed together and what it happens is just like this like like you know um, like I hate I know, explosion that sounds gross but like. It's just this like <laughs> like this feeling of this. It's like, powerful though. It's powerful yeah. because like there's so there's a, like so much build up to it. There's so much tension, and like you can just tell these characters are just like waiting for like the right time for it to happen. And when it does, mm-hmm. and they're just so, it's so cathartic for the audience. And yeah, and I mean like I, it's so rare to see you know women characters who are just like living for themselves and. I think that's why, like, the male characters don't even register as, like, human beings to me, because, like, these these women aren't even acting with considering their feelings, you know? I mean, it's like the, the you know, the iconic scene of Sarah Paulson slamming the door in Kyle Chandler's uh-huh. face, like, th- to me, that's just, like, emblematic of the film as a whole, where it's just, like, she doesn't have to answer to anyone, and these, Carol and Therese don't have to answer to anyone either, because they're, you know, they're taking this, like, whatever semblance of autonomy, like sexual autonomy, um, personal autonomy, emotional autonomy, they're just taking that power that they have over, over themselves and just like exercising it in an era when like, you know, a less, um, a less self-assured version of Carol would just be suffering in silence in an unhappy marriage with a husband who thinks he's having a great marriage because his wife cooks and cleans and takes (laughs) care of the daughter so yeah. it's just like I mean th- to me like that's what's so um, like revolutionary is that too hyperbolic about this movie is that like we have no I don't think it is have, actually like, three characters I... who are just three women who are just like living and not apologetic <laughs> about it they're not shy about it they're gonna you know try Therese is gonna drop everything and go on a road trip with a stranger she hardly knows just because there's mm-hmm. this like intense attraction there you know that just can't yeah, be explained mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and i think you know one one thing i forgot to bring up in terms of queer people in the making of this movie one person i forgot to mention is the author of the original book uh, the price of salt Trisha highsmith also a lesbian um so you have and that's the source of this of this story yeah. um but i wanted to talk about you know this the way this movie holds back for that first hour. Yeah. Cause I think like you kind of mentioned in a lesser movie, you know, their first kiss or their first sexual encounter probably would have taken place about 30 minutes earlier. Uh, but I think it's really smart that Haynes like just holds everything back. And he even does some, my, one of my favorite things about this movie is there's this recurring thematic aspect where characters are constantly behind glass Um, whether it's like a car window or a shop window or something like that. And I think what that is getting across is this idea of like, I can see this person, I can almost reach them, but there's something holding me back. Uh, And in most cases in this film, it's like, it's the patriarchy. It's, it's the culture at large that's telling them they can't do that. So what, what do they have to do? They have to like find an excuse to be with one another and leave and leave town and go in secret. And I just think like the, the way that Haynes holds that back 
is and some of it of course is again these tremendous performances it is it's not an easy thing to perform um controlled desire like that is a really difficult thing to do but i think you get that from both these actors and you also get it from the kind of steady hand of the director here and kind of not allowing these people together until the exact right moment and i also like that it doesn't shy away from the sexuality. They could have just had a moment where they shared this really passionate kiss and then they fade to black and you wake up the next morning. But they have, I mean, there's even a line that Therese has where Carol is going to go turn off the lights and she says, no, I want to see you. And that is such an impactful moment where you're just like, oh, especially because this is, this is Therese's first. This is, you know, her discovering who she is as a lesbian and like, no, no, I need to be here. For this moment, there's so much in my life that I'm not present for, and I can't miss this. And you re- and you get that in like two lines of dialogue, and that's the power of a of great performances and a great kind of tightly controlled script. And I think that is what you get like through the entire runtime of Carol. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh man, this movie is just so like. I mean, okay, so of course, like, the inspiration between, you know, from this film and Todd Haynes' kind of other film, Far From Heaven, is uh, Douglas Sark, you know, the great melodrama auteur of the 1940s and 50s, and, you know, he made movies like Magnificent Obsession and Written on the Wind and Imitation of Life, and of course, the, you know, masterpiece All That Heaven Allows, Um, and, you know, he has... You know, he has um, a reputation of, like, these kind of over-the-top, you know, soap opera-type melodramas. And, yeah, I mean, sure. Um, But I think that, like... I mean, especially a movie like All That Heaven Allows, which, you know, is... Which is a film that I think Todd Haynes probably has ingrained into his brain. Um, (laughs) But, like, that film, I think, is very much, you know, tightly controlled and restrained and features like that sort of like almost unbearably intense build-up and i think Mm -hmm. you know by placing this film in the 1950s i think todd haynes or yeah by placing carol in the 1950s i think todd haynes is you know invoking that that level of like repression but rather than um rather than kind of shy away from overcoming that oppression like he does in Far From Heaven with Julianne Moore, where, you know, there is an element of, like, you know, we of, like, not being able to cross the boundary, you know. But in Carol, they do cross the boundary. And, you know, of course, they go through, like, some hardship, of course, you know, towards in the, in the latter half of the film. But in the end, they're kind of rewarded with, you know, this, like spell this like spellbinding ending which is like so Mm. intense and so like you know um passionate and exciting Mm -hmm. you know to watch and this movie ends on like an ellipses you know ends on a question mark which is i think kind of sometimes the best kind of ending and like i don't want to see the the ending with carol and therese like in an apartment together they're like oh we live together now we're happy you know i don't want i mean i do want to see that but i don't want to see it you know and so I, I think that's, like, what I love about this movie is just that, like, you know, the build-up, I mean, not just in the first half, but even the second half, there's all this, you know, um, ten- like, external tension, not just the internal, like, sexual tension, but, like, external ones of, uh, you know, the pressure of the reality of, you know, their situation, but in a way that it doesn't feel oppressive, it doesn't feel punishing, you know, it's not... You know, you don't get the sense that Todd Haynes is saying, or Todd Haynes and his screenwriter, Phyllis Nagy, you know, they're not saying, like, well, you know, they crossed this limit and now they have to suffer the consequences. It's more Uh that, you know, they have to accept the reality, but there's also that element of, like, you know, we were saying earlier, these women just living for themselves. You you know, there's that element Uh of challenging, you know, the norms and challenging society. Yeah, and I think more than anything, like this is uh, as I watch it repeatedly. I probably, I mean, I don't even know how many times I've watched this movie because I watched it a lot the year it came I out. I was just kind of obsessed with it. <laughs> yes, um, but it, you know, in watching it this time, I was really struck at how it becomes a movie about possibility. Yeah, um, 
So the very beginning of the movie, I remember when I first saw it, I was like, oh, shit, we're doing this thing where it's like we're telling the story from the end and it's really fucking sad and they don't end up together. And this is terrible. So now let's tell the story about how everything was great and then everything went wrong. And it would be very easy to tell that story. Uh, if you end this movie, you know, two minutes before it ends, then you have that where she leaves and goes off to the party and they never see each other again. Yeah. And that's a totally doable film. And it's a film that's been done and done well. And it would still be a great movie, even if that's the way it ended. But I like the fact that, like, not only does it end differently, but there's a, you know, there's a scene in this where you're like, oh, well, Carol's going to have to, like, cut sexuality out of her life if she wants to be with her child. And she makes a very difficult choice eventually in basically saying, okay, my kid is going to live with you. Um, Because I, like you said, she wants to live for herself. She wants to live a full life. And that's a really, that's a really difficult choice for her, but she makes a difficult choice in order to live the most full life that she can. So like, yeah, she could have had her daughter in her home more, but that would have meant she couldn't be who she was. And would she really be a good mother if she couldn't be the person that she was fully? Um, so that's an it's an interesting conversation that he just kind of drops in there and then leaves. And then by the end of the movie, like you said, you don't get the sad ending. You don't get the like she leaves and then Carol kills herself or something awful like that. But you also don't get the like and they lived happily ever after. But the movie ends on this, as you mentioned, I think, kind of this magical, mystical, wistful look on Kate Blanchett's face. And the thing I love most about it is you can kind of fill in your own ending here. There's a lot of directions this could go. I choose to see this as a happy ending, as like, okay, Therese came back. They can go on with their lives. And even if they don't end up in a sexual relationship after this, there is a connection there that will never end. Uh, And I like that it lets you play with that at the end of the movie. So it really becomes about like if you're willing to make sacrifices, then life is full of these possibilities. You just have to like reach out and grab it. And I think that's kind of where these characters end up by the end of the film. Yeah. I mean, it's almost more thrilling, right? That because like, Mm -hmm. I mean, like um, in some ways, like potential possibilities, like the unknown that can be. I mean, that is, that is more tantalizing than, you know, reality, of course. Or, like, even even if you get... I mean, God, that sounds so dumb. But, like, even if you get what you want, like, that, like, anticipation is so thrilling. It's so exciting. And I think that, like, this whole film is two hours of anticipation, right? There's so much, like... <laughs> I mean, you're waiting for the first scene to come back around. And, you're and, you know, I mean, there's a whole, like... You know, that whole... Uh, potential of what you know what that first scene meant is hanging over the film in a way that's very exciting um and then just in this film there's just like i mean just like the possibility of um you know therese you know even something as simple as returning the hand glove in the beginning or coming over for christmas or coming on this trip or taking these photos like there's just so much there's so much there of all these like little moments where the characters really appreciate the build up to it and the film appreciates the build up to it. And mm-hmm. I, I want to go back to what you're saying about motherhood because like another way this movie is very, uh, very different is that, you know, motherhood is not the be all end all of Carol's life. And that's something we hardly ever right. see. We, we almost, I can, we almost never see that, especially in a movie about, you know, the 1950s or about a married woman or about, you know, a mother of a toddler or whatever. Like, I mean, even movies that kind of look at, you know, how hard motherhood can be at the end, it's always like, well, you know, my life is fulfilling because I'm a mother and all the har- mm-hmm. and all the horrible stuff is not worth it because, you know, my little angels or whatever. Um, <laughs> right. But in Carol, like, Carol is just like, well, you know, like, I if I have to sacrifice something, I'm going to sacrifice my daughter in a way. But it's, she's not like abandoning her kid. I mean, I think she'll still be a part of the kid's life, but she's giving custody to the parent who could parent the kid better, and that's hard, you know. Mm-hmm. And she recognizes that, and that's just so like shocking. I mean, it's so shocking. It was the kind of thing like, I remember, like you know, in the hearing scene towards the end when I first saw the film, just being like, okay, what is the resolution of this? Because like they're leading towards something that I couldn't recall in another movie and can't you know can't think of another story that I've read or seen that 
uh, that allow the mother to not only be something else besides a mother, but allow to put her her own like desire, her own life, her own personhood mm-hmm. over the over the child, and that's so just so rare. And not in a way that vilifies Carol, vilifies Carol either. Like she's not; it's not presented as like the wrong thing to do. Actually, it's kind of the more noble thing to do for the sake of her child and for her her ex husband. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it I think it's an interesting trick because that kind of very trailer scene where she kind of explodes and like if we go to court, it'll be you know it'll be ugly and we're not ugly people is yeah. a great scene. But I like the fact that that's not the end. You know, the end is something much more, much smaller. And just like, yeah, that's what's happening now. Like, it's not a big courtroom drama. It's just like, well, we decided that this was the smartest thing to do, which in reality is how most of this stuff works in real life anyway, where it's not a big moment. You don't get to give a speech. You just have to come to the best decision. And I also like that I think it would be an easier blow to take if – this kid was obnoxious or she didn't really have a connection to this kid, but she clearly did. Like every time the child showed up, she was like, Oh my God, my baby and went to go hug her and really truly cared about her. And you could feel that. So as you find out later, what happens, it is a loss. Like as you're watching Carol's journey, it's not just like, Oh, thank God that kid's out of the way. Now she can go, go have sex with this lady. That's much better. It is like, kind of like it is, it's not like horribly sad, but it is kind of a moment of like, oh, she has really given up a lot yeah, to I mean, live Carol, her life, and it really hits home. I think that's what really sticks the knife in is that Carol is actually pretty. I think she's a pretty good mother. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe a little, a little reckless at times, just by like because she's so living for herself. But again, that could just be my own like preconceived notions of what you know motherhood looks like. But she's a good mother, but. Um, it's like, and it, it kind of, you know, plays into that thing of like, you know, when adoption agencies don't want to adopt to gay couples because, mm-hmm. you know, or that, you know, that like very conservative thing about like, you know, corrupting the child or whatever. And so, like, it's good to see her be like, maybe not like a totally, you know, selfless mother, but a good one and a caring one. But she mm-hmm. can still make the decision that, you know, my life is my life and I can't I can't sacrifice my own, you know, happiness, my own desire for my child. Because, you know, the thing is that the child's going to grow up and kind of leave her. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, no, but I mean, the, I mean, like go, going back to all that heaven allows. Um, have you seen that movie, by the way? Shot, you know it's crazy. I've never seen a certain a, a single Douglas Sirk movie. Okay, is, well, I... if you don't mind me spoiling a little, like, um, oh, in, go for it. I'll forget that, it anyway. Yeah, in um, in that movie, you know, Jane Wyman is in love with um, Val Hudson, who's you know probably ten or so years younger, and her children, who are grown, are saying, you know, you can't, you can't marry him because you know what's what are people going to say and you can't sell the house and move in with him because it's our childhood home and so she breaks up with rock hudson for the sake of her kids and then um and then and then in the next few scenes her daughter is getting married moving out and her son is telling her oh we got a job in in like africa or whatever and um like doing like for like an oil company i guess and so why don't you sell the house because like it's too big for you now because I won't be living here and my sister won't be living here. And Jane Wyman's like, oh, so all the sacrifice I made was for nothing because you guys are growing up and leaving the house and don't even have even thought twice about the fact that you told me to break up with someone that I loved. And like I think right. I mean the thing is that like, yeah, it's noble and everything to sacrifice for your kids, but at the end of the day, like you know, they have their own lives to live and they're not gonna you know, they're not going to stop living their lives for you because they, you know, that they shouldn't because it's their own life. But then you should, then Carol should be allowed and Jane Wyman should be allowed to you know make their own choices. And I think that's what I love about mm-hmm. about this movie and all that heaven allows is that like these women are allowed to make these decisions that are great for them, even if they're not the most you know quote unquote selfless. Harge. I want you 
to be happy. I didn't give you that. I, I failed you. I mean, we both could have given more, but we gave each other Rindy. And that is the most breathtaking, the most generous of gifts. So why are we spending so much time trying to keep her from each other? Now, what happened with Therese, I want it. And I will not deny it or say that I... But I do regret and I grieve for the mess we are about to make of our child's life. We hard are both responsible. So I think we should set it right. I think that Harge should have custody of Rindy. Could I suggest we just take a break for a no, moment? Fred, I don't no, Fred, would you let, let me speak? Because if you don't, I will not be able to cope. Now, I'm no martyr. I have no clue what is best for me. But I do know, and I feel it in my bones, what is best for my daughter. Now, I want visits with her, Harge. I don't care if they're supervised. I just want them to be regular. You know, there was a time when I would have done almost anything. I would have locked myself away to keep Rindy with me. What use am I to her, to us, if I'm living against my own grain? So that's the deal. I won't, I cannot negotiate anymore. You take it or leave it. But if you leave it, we go to court. And if we go to court... It'll get ugly. And we're not ugly people, Hodge. Yeah, and I think it's an important thing um, to have in a movie that you don't see very often, that a woman's life doesn't just stop. It doesn't end because yeah. she's a mother. Right. You know, like to have these these full lives, especially gay women, to have these full these full lives that, that matter. And that's something you see in Carol that you don't see in a lot of movies, even a lot of queer movies, like these full lives. Like usually it's just like, okay, it's a subplot about queerness and it's about their first time or it's about how things go wrong. But no, this I think you get you get what Therese likes to do. You get Carol's friendships. You get Carol's motherhood. You get an actual picture of who these women are, which is something even now we don't get a lot in queer stories. So that yeah. is, you know, it's, it's something to me that kind of sets it apart um, from not only other queer movies, but just other movies. Like it is kind of in a, in a really interesting, different category. And I know, I know you hate men, Manish, but I do want to mention one scene with Jake Lacey that was really impressive to me. Um, it's, it's seen between him and Therese and she's kind of talking about crushes that you have yeah. on people of the same sex. And it's a really powerful moment because she's even though she's like, for what it's worth, ready to like step out on this guy that she's supposedly dating. But she's reaching out for someone to understand her because she's terrified because this is clearly the first time this has happened to her. And it's so impactful that his reaction to all this is to kind of make fun of her. You know, which I think every you know, it doesn't have to be a relationship you're in, but I think every queer person has had that moment where you try to open up to someone and they mock you because it's outside the norm, because it's not normal, all this stuff. And that moment, like it hurt. Like I'm watching this and I'm like, Oh, she really, she wants someone who is not Carol to tell her that this is okay. Yeah. And, and it's it's scary now, but in 19, in the 1950s, like terrifying. You know, where, you know, you find out later in the movie, this is a situation where if you're a mother, you can have your child taken away because you have had sex with women. You know, it shows this pattern of behavior that is not healthy for a child to be around. Like that's that's the level that we're at. So for her to like reach out and she's a person in general who doesn't reach out much anyway. She's very internal. She's an internal person. And it's like it's like she it's like she touched the stove. It's like she touched a hot hot hot, hot, hot fire and yeah. just has to like pull back inside of herself immediately. And that's like the last time she reaches out to anybody except Carol. And I was just like, oh man! But and, and at the same point, 
given the time and given the nature of these two people's relationship, you get why he reacts that way. Like, is it the healthiest? Is it the best thing? No, but it's still understandable. Yeah. um, But is it so understandable that he calls her Terry? Because does Rooney Mara look like a Terry to you? (laughs) No. There's something about that that he throws that out. And it only happens once. It's a really interesting script choice. Um, it's like it's uh, it's interesting. It's both infantilizing and masculinizing, if that's a word, because Therese is a very feminine name and Terry yeah. can kind of be either one. And I think it's yeah. a really interesting choice. And it's something I don't think I even noticed the first time I saw it. But on rewatch, it's just it really it's, stands out. It really, it really stands I, out. Yeah. And I, but I also think that, like, um, I like that what you said, that it's kind of a masculine term because like I think that's very that's something I didn't even I didn't pick up on. For me it was just like I can't imagine looking at Rooney Mara and thinking she looks anything like a Terry. And it's also <laughs> a, a nickname that she doesn't use herself. It's one that he gave her and one that is like in, in his own way he's like you know, marking his territory on her and and mm-hmm. suggesting an intimacy that he has with her that he wants to prove that she doesn't have with anyone, especially Carol. Mm-hmm. And, like, mm-hmm. his jealousy of Carol is so fascinating to me because, like, he... I don't even think he understands, like, what's happening with anyone... With, with Carol and... Certainly Therese. not consciously, no. Yeah, I no. think subconsciously he probably knows that this relationship isn't working. And, like, one of my favorite scenes is when she's packing to go on the trip... Or or like or thinking or, t- or talking about it, and he's trying to get her to travel with him, and just like their dynamic is so interesting because, in some ways, he's the like he's the girlfriend, right? In the mm-hmm. in that sort of binary gender roles way, because he, I mean, he kind of has that like bottom energy of like. Um, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, I, no, like, he does. No, you're absolutely. Correct. I was just like you know like. Um, like, why can't you commit to me? Like, why can't you do this to me? And Therese is, like, as much as he's, like, this, like, kind of, like, alpha guy who's, like, this, like, 50s guy who's, like, you know, been around the block but, like, is with a nice girl, quote-unquote. Like, she's the one that is, like, has that kind of, you know, the... She's the one that's kind of dictating this relationship. Like, she won't get married. She mm-hmm. won't... Like they probably haven't had sex yet, is my guess. And no way. Um, I mean, that's how you turn a straight guy into a bottom is by denying. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's so true. It's uh, tragically true. Yes. But like you know, and that's the thing. Like she has all this like control, and he's so threatened by that. And like, um, I actually wanted to get into Therese because I feel like she's the kind of she's the character that I think a lot of people don't talk that much about just because she's so Rudy Mara is a very quiet actor and she's a very um, uh-huh. stoic actor I, I think or she can be uh-huh. especially in, in a movie like this which is very cold and um, uh, very cold and restrained I don't mean cold in a negative way but just let, like you know it takes place in winter and it's a movie uh-huh. that's very much about you know denial and repression at times but I think that uh-huh. You know, I've read one criticism that I've read about this movie is that Carol can be a little predatory in that she kind of zero with zeroes in on Therese and you know is kind of the instigator. But I think Therese, in her own way, is receptive to that. And mm-hmm. yeah, I oh, say go ahead. Yeah, I never, I never bought that uh, that criticism. Me I think either. it's kind of silly yeah, and I false. Agree. Um, I think I think it's uh, dramatically even between the two of them. Um, just because you're the person who calls them and says we should meet up does not necessarily make you a predator or even the person pushing the action. Right. The way you react to a person flirting with you can push the action. And if you look at that that scene where they're having lunch together, Therese is pushing the flirtation and the back and forth and she's clearly receptive this is not a predatory relationship in any way and there's even moments in the film where um where carol is like you know maybe we shouldn't you know maybe we shouldn't push this and therese is the one who's like no i want this 
I want yeah. to be with you. She makes it very clear. And I think, I think some of people's reactions to this, I think, I mean, not to be this guy, but I think there's a lot of straight people who say stuff like this. And a lot of people who haven't been in gay relationships where, where maybe it's not accepted. So you can't be as upfront about your attraction and you have to yeah. like play the game and kind of figure out, okay, are they just really friendly? What is going on? And you have to keep in mind that this phrase, it's her first relationship with a woman. So she's kind of feeling her way through it. And I think the idea of this being predatory on Carol's end should be completely wiped from your mind by that explosion. As you mentioned, that sex scene, that moment, because like she wants to be there. She yeah. wants to have sex with Carol. She wants to be with Carol. She wants to be with Carol after that, before that, during that. So, like, I don't know when you and know I, when straight people come into come into this arena and are like, "Well, that seems a little upsetting and predatory." She is a bit older. Like, oh God! Like, especially during the 1950s. So here's the thing about age difference in queer relationships, especially not now, especially in the past. It's like. There aren't, there weren't as many options as if, as if you were a straight person. A straight person, you kind of can run the gamut of age, and you know, there's everything you could do. But like, you don't know any queer people in the 1950s because people were terrified to admit that they're gay. Yeah. And if you find out that you're attracted to someone and they're gay and they're attracted to you, like they're 10 years older than me, like who cares? Let's go. Like, I finally get to act on these feelings I've had my whole life that I've been too terrified or it's been too dangerous to act on. So to come in here and be like, well, she's predatory. It it just it feels like a nonsense criticism to me. Well, to be fair, it wasn't just straight people that have had that criticism of the film. I think it's also like kind of younger Gen Z woke queer people who are like, um, you know, you know, that whole thing of just like (laughs) everything has to be. Everything has to read like a, you know, a feminist textbook about, you know, you know what I mean? Like that kind of thing where it's like everything has yeah. to read like I, a, I mean, a Twitter thread. Yeah, definitely. Um, like, yes, exactly. But like, I don't know. Part of me is like, I think it's wonderful that young queer people are growing up in an age where it is much more acceptable to be queer. There are many more options. There are people to talk to. But even me, I was born in the late 70s, early 80s. When I was when I was a teenager, it was not acceptable to be gay. You know, you had to take a risk to come out. So like to come in here with the like kind of like, well, it should be like this. Like you are living in wonderful times in comparison to the 80s and i was living in wonderful times in comparison to the 50s so let's put things where they actually are you you don't get to watch a movie set in 1954 and be like well in 2020 we would really frown upon this like well it's not 2020 it's 1954 the other thing is i think it's a little disingenuous because like i don't know any queer people who haven't had at least you know fleeting relationships with older people like it's just a part of it like I mean, it is. just, I mean, by virtue, because older people are just more confident also, like, you know, I think if, if Carol were Therese's age, she wouldn't be, like, asking her to lunch and asking her to come to her house in New Connecticut or New Jersey or wherever. So Yeah, um, I mean, what yeah, 20-year-old has a house, so... Right. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially now. Um, mm. the, the other thing is, like, I think, you know, Carol might be more, uh, let's say, aggressive or more like take the initiative in like the way she is asking um asking Therese out or to the on the trip but like I also want to ask or say like mention like who has the camera you know who's mm-hmm. I mean this film is through you know Therese's lens and I I remember someone saying like why is yep. the movie called Carol and not Therese because Car- you know Therese mm-hmm. is the you know, she's, like, the the protagonist in, in a way, or, like... And I was like, well, this movie is, like, Carol in some ways can... You can interpret this film where Carol is, like, an object herself. Uh-huh. And so, it's, like, calling it Carol is, like, looking at Carol through Therese's camera. That's the way I've always viewed the film, is that, yeah. you know, and it, it's an interesting choice uh, to make, because they didn't have to name this Carol. It's based on a book called The Price of Salt, which is 
not a great title, so probably don't name it that. But you easily could have called this <laughs> Therese or Terry. Uh, not Terry. You shouldn't call it Terry. But there's, there's lots of other options here. But I like the word that you used about Carol being the one who takes the initiative. And there is a yeah. world of difference between taking initiative and being a predator. Those are two very different right. things. You could definitely say Carol is the one at the beginning who pushes some of the action, who takes the initiative. Because Therese doesn't have any experience. You know, like that's just a, that's a fact of life. Uh, but that doesn't mean necessarily that like Carol's a fucking bad person. And by the end of the movie, Carol is not the one with the power in this relationship. This is Therese's call by the end. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say like one of my favorite scenes is when um, Carol's looking for trees and, you know, Therese's snap is taking those photos of her. And it's just like, it's just they're so like loving and like I don't want to say loving because it's like they're not like in love yet but it's like they're like they're adoring so, like yeah adoring so and, like yeah yeah um yeah. and like oh my god just like I mean this movie this this is a movie about like looking and like lances mm-hmm. and just the way that they look at each other it's like you kind of feel the electricity between them even if they're just mm-hmm. like kind of sitting around a piano or whatever. Or like totally. you know, drinking martinis in the middle of the day. <laughs> I think I think the only the only line in this movie that gets an eye roll from from me and it gets it every single time is you know she takes a picture of her when she's at the diner and Kate Blanchett says oh don't I look a fright and I'm like bitch you know you look perfect how dare you like she is perfectly made up hair coiffed perfect outfit like you. Carol you have never looked a fright that has never happened. Yeah, but like, like the thing is that like. <laughs> Um, when someone says they look bad, they look a fright, it just means that they know they look hot, but they have to, they yep. can't say it, so they have to pretend 100%. 100%. <laughs> it's just like, it really struck me, because of course, as you mentioned, the movie is about looking, and in that shot, you're looking directly at Kate Blanchett's, like, perfect yeah. face. And I'm just like, oh, okay, Carol, let's get it together. Look, I we thought- all know that you're beautiful. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say the flung out of space line uh, because it's like, I mean, it's it's a great line, but it's also like, um, I guess it's like it's like the one line that I saw the most like on like Twitter and stuff of like yeah, I I think if you're not but, into melodrama, that's gonna that's gonna stand out to you. But if you yeah. are, but if you have a history in watching melodrama, it really fits, you know. And I like that she mentions it once, and then she says it like in this dreamy way when they're when they're in bed together, like that repetition. Like that stuff works yeah. on me. I have no issue with right. that. Yeah. Okay. Good. It's a, it's a great line. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just want to bring up the score again. I mean, oh, I could just talk. Beautiful. It's just like, it just breaks your heart, you know, especially that main theme. Um, and it really, uh, it really completes that. And like, honestly, nobody does yearning like lesbian film. Like it just, like it just, and you get that here and you get it with that score. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's beautiful on its own. Um, the, the music is just stunningly beautiful music. But like when you pair it with what's actually going on on screen, it just, it just hits perfectly, and you really you feel every and it's never it's never a point where it's overwhelming. Like sometimes scores they go too far, and you're like, okay, now I can't even think about what's going on on screen. All I can hear is this music, and it just hits that perfect balance of the visuals and the sound, and just and I think it, yeah. if you if you replace this with a different score, I think the movie really suffers. I think you do really need it to capture the emotion and that yearning of the moment. Yeah, so the score is by Carter Burwell. I just want to give a shout out. Um, the great Carter Burwell. And um, cinematography is by Edward Lockman. So just like two guys who are just like firing at all cylinders in this film. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so do you want to switch gears and talk about the like reception and like awards thing about this movie? Sure. It's a very fascinating thing. Um, so, okay. <laughs> Let me tell you my Carol story because, like, it's I'm, I'm sure I told you this before, but like, in twenty, God, I want to say twenty seventeen, I took a um, I took a screenwriting class, it's just a continuing education class, to, like, has something to do, and like, Carol came up, and I was like, hey, Carol's like a masterpiece, and this like, well, the straight guy, like, 
you know, white straight guy, like totally typical like filmmaker type. It was just like I hated Carol. Ugh. And I was like, Oh wow, you're you're in a film class and you hate Carol. Like this is like I was like I don't I don't I don't even want to hear your explanation, right? Because like it's gonna right. be dumb. And he was like, Oh, it's you know, like this movie just like the the they just like this movie just hates men, like there was oh, it was Jesus. so mean to the men, like I don't like I don't understand why, like it was so like hard and cruel. And I was like, oh, wow, I just realized I can disregard everything you say. Yeah, that. immediately. Yes. But, like, uh. I mean, that's the kind of thing. I mean, like, I've, I'd heard that, that you know, that complaint. And, like, I think it's just because, like, I mean, I was, like, joking earlier that, like, this movie, like, barely acknowledges the men exist. And it's, like, it's not true. Obviously, you're right that there's some empathy there. But I think it's just, like, what's so radical about this movie is that, you know these women are acting without considering the men and their, and their feelings. And, like, this movie was famously nominated for many awards, including Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress, but was not nominated for Best Picture or, or Best Director. And I really think, and this isn't just me, like, with my tinfoil hat or anything, but I really think that this movie turned some Oscar voters off for being exactly that. Like, having that, you know, having women kind of exist outside the patriarchy, exist outside the male gaze. Right. And, like, even the sex scene, you know, it is directed by a man, but it's directed by, you know, a gay man, Todd Haynes. So it doesn't have that, like, leeringness that, you know, um, other lesbian films might have, directed by straight men, um, mm-hmm. but in the French language. So... Um, <laughs> <laughs> True story. <laughs> Um, so I really think that like like maybe they weren't like I think subconsciously they were they were like turned off by it and consciously they were just like oh like who cares right it's just a, it's just another queer movie it's just another like lesbian love story like costume drama you know and so right. I really think that's why this movie like that's I mean earlier you were saying that like this movie is like critically acclaimed like made money at the box office and like is known as a classic but is also underrated. And I think mm-hmm. it's just because of that. I think you know, losing those two Oscar nominations is, and you know, not it's like it has that feel of something that like didn't make an impact, that didn't quite land the way it should have. I mean, this movie could have been nominated for like ten Oscars, right? And like won more than half of that. Yeah. But like it just it it kind of landed with a thud because the Oscar voters like just I don't think they even I don't think they're like thought about this movie in the same way that like you and I have talked about this movie over the last, you know, 45 minutes or so. Yeah. It's, it's really a shame. Like, you know, we, we both are big fans of award shows and the Oscars in particular. Um, but this is a prime example of how like, okay, the Oscars clearly are not a meritocracy. This is not just about making the best movie or having the best performance because you can certainly make arguments that there was a better performance that year, or there's a better movie that year, but I will not listen to an argument that tells me that there were six better performances than, you know, the Kate Blanchett in this movie, or that there were a bunch of directors better than Todd Hank. Like I you know, it just it boggles my mind the the yeah. way this this film was snubbed. Um because it's interesting. Well, I think if I think if you have this movie but it's not a lesbian story, this movie gets nominated for every Oscar imaginable. If there's a heterosexual oh, love story at the heart of this yeah. a movie that looks like this and feels like this it gets and wins a whole bunch of Oscars. And it's just like, I don't think, I don't think, especially at this time in 2015, I don't think the Academy was ready to nominate a lesbian story um, for all these awards. And it's honestly, it's a goddamn shame because like, this is like, I, you know, I mentioned the word meticulous um, in watching this, which, which feels like something that's devoid of passion. And it's definitely not, but this movie is so careful about the choices that it makes that it's a shame that it got ignored in this way where it's just like, Oh, it's just another, you know, it's just another gay movie. It's just another costume drama. Who cares? And it's so much more than that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do want to clarify that Kate Blanchett and Rudy Mara were both nominated um, for their performances. Um, they lost to Brie Larson and Alicia Vikander, respectively. Um, uh, Alicia Vikander Ugh. is a great actress, Jesus. did not deserve... To, I mean, she should have won not for Ex Machina. Yes. Yeah, she, yes. I mean, that, that was Ex Machina's um, Oscar, and Tomb Raiders as well. 
Um, Brie Larson, I mean, <laughs> I love the performance. <laughs> I love that performance by Brie Larson in Room, so I can't begrudge the Oscar win. And Kate Blanchett had one for another incredible performance in Blue Jasmine. So it's, you know, I mean, as much as I would love to have seen her win for this, like in the terms of Oscar politics, I'm not yeah. too disappointed. So what you're saying is uh, thank God for Woody Allen? Is that what we're. That we're resting on. Thank God she got um, her. Oscar yeah, machine. put that in my Twitter bio. <laughs> um, but the other, th- I mean, the other flip side, right, is that like, um, like we were talking about, like, well, like about the reception of this movie. But I also think that, like, in some ways, this movie became like, you know, um, just like the way this movie was like talked about by the people who did love it just felt in some ways like condescending. I don't know if you got that oh, impression. Yes. I mean, like, Oh, a hundred percent. It's insufferable. And I try very hard not to be one of those people, but like, I remember yeah. when this, when this movie had first premiered at, I think in Cannes and, you know, all these film festivals and the people talking about it, specifically one straight white film reviewer talking about it, like kind of made me not want to see it where I was just like, Oh my God, will you shut up? Like yeah. just the, like the, the comments of just being so over the top and like, you know, the best movie of the last century. And you know, it's like, okay, okay, can we, can we just chill out? Can I watch the movie? Can I, can I enjoy it before you go so hard on this, you know? Um, and it it did. And especially when it got snubbed for Oscars, it didn't win Oscars. People felt like it should. I feel like that got worse. I feel like that at, well, people just don't understand art and they don't, let's, let's chill. Don't be that guy. you be that guy with your friends privately you don't be that guy in public because that all that's doing is taking away from the movie and making people not want to experience this great film yeah exactly um yeah i mean it's just like i'm it's like i also felt like this movie wasn't being appreciated for the reasons that it's like should have been it sounds so gatekeepy but like (laughs) i really don't think that like the majority of film critics who were like so like waxing poetic about it were talking about it in the, in the terms of it like challenging sort of patriarchal filmmaking mm-hmm. style you know what i mean like or in like i don't think like i mean i don't think we they i don't i don't remember a lot of conversation about motherhood for example or no. you know the the like the lens of you know, seeing this film through like the f- female on female lens or woman on woman lens, mm-hmm. like I just don't recall that conversation. I think it was just like, in some ways, so performative that this mm-hmm. movie became so overrated that it became underrated. You know, right. That kind of thing. I <laughs> Somehow. mean, like, yeah. I mean, I don't think this movie is. I was. I feel like this movie was overrated for like a hot minute, but then like once you know all those like those Carol stands like calmed down and found something else to obsess over, <laughs> then this then this movie became underrated. And like I really think it's a I mean a very significant piece of film for you know this decade because of all the things that it's challenging and all the ways that it's so unlike any other movie that's been made in the last you know fifty years and or so. Mm-hmm. And like how it, how it invokes that like fifties melodrama aesthetic and style and storytelling and transforms it into something that feels so modern and so, you know, with the times and how we are now talking about filmmaking and feminism and women and queerness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing I, I wanted to mention, I think another reason, like going back to the academy stuff, another reason maybe that it didn't get the attention it should have is like, let's be real. When we're talking about marginalized groups, the Academy loves a truly sad story, a truly tragic story. This can be true of a gay film where of course, you know, a gay character has to die by the end because God forbid someone would just live their goddamn life by the end of the movie. Or if you're telling, and this is why in general, most black films that get nominated for Oscars are slave narratives. Um, where yeah. something awful like happens every, every 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah exactly. So yeah. this is a story about two women who happen to be gay, um, who live full lives and don't end tragically. So the Academy doesn't yeah. know what to do with stuff like this. Like, what do you mean they just, like, are happy and go shopping and live their lives and have friendships? I don't, I don't understand. Where's the drama? Where's the tragedy? You know, so, like, to see... 
to see a gay story that tells this, that paints this full picture of these women's lives, like they don't know what to do with that. So I think that's another reason it probably got shifted. Yeah, the tragedy of Carol is that it's so radical that they're living for themselves, right? Because like yep. for every Carol and Therese who can build up that level of you know self-assuredness, self-confidence, whatever you want to call it, there are a million other women and other you know queer people who can't and yep. and, and won't and will you know live lives you know in in suffering. So like it's that kind of invisible tragedy that I think the the academy never really. Um, can appreciate because it's not, you know, it's not spoon fed to them. Right. And like, I think that's why Carol is going to be like an enduring masterpiece, in my opinion, over, you know, because it's just so, it's so subtle, it's so nuanced, it's so, um, yes. There's so many layers to it that, you know, I mean, I've seen this movie many times. I've written about this movie. I've talked about this movie so many times. And even just in our conversation, you've pointed out so many things I hadn't even thought about. So right. it's like, this is that and, kind of movie. And I, the more people watch it, I think the more they're going to get out of it. Yeah. And that really is the mark of a great film, right? That you can, yeah. you know, what is it? Like five years later, you can have hundreds of conversations about it, read dozens of pieces about it, listen to 10 podcasts about it. And then every conversation is still a little bit different because there's just so yeah. much under the surface. And that's, that's really yeah. cool. And there's not that many movies like that. Um, so it's nice when we get, when we get a great queer movie like that, that's not just so on the surface. Um, so, you know, we always talk about the Russo test, um, so it has to have a character that is identif- identifiably queer. I think it definitely passes that part. Well, I do um, want to. Well, not that I disagree <laughs> with you. No, no, I don't disagree with you. I think it does count, but like, they don't ever label themselves. And I mean, not that they That's would true. in that time period, but like, um, I mean, of course they're queer. I, I mean, they're queer to the audience, of course. But like, yes. I mean, I guess there's something that I forgot to mention in our the kind of the main part of the discussion. Mm-hmm. But like the. the I don't think anyone ever utters the word gay, lesbian, homosexual, queer, anything like that. Do they? Nope, never. No. No, they don't. But uh, yeah. And I think, that- you know, you're right. That's that's a marker of the time, for sure, because that's, you know, yeah. we just don't talk about that. Um, and I would, I think it would be an even more interesting discussion if you don't have the character of Abby. But I think because you have this, like, history of lesbian relationships, it's pretty obvious yeah. that, you know... You know, because, you know, Therese is exploring and figuring things out. And I think by the end, she knows who she is. Um, But I think Carol definitely, at this point in her life, knows who she is. Uh, I just love that. It's like, there's a queer character, and you're like, wait a minute. I'm like, wait, what are we doing here? I know, I know. I know, it's the wrong time. I just told I forgot to bring that up. No, No, I appreciate Uh, you bringing that up. It's It's a really interesting... Yeah. yeah, it's an interesting point. Yeah. Uh, two, the character must not be solely defined by their sexual orientation. And I think we've talked a great deal about how they have full lives and it's not just that they're gay. There's more to them. Yeah. Uh, and the queer character must be tied into the plot in such a way that their removal would have a significant effect. And obviously, I think if you remove Carol or Therese, you don't have a movie. So it yeah. would be, yeah, even Abby, I think it changes the story completely. So, yeah, it definitely passes the Russo test. So let's close out with, you know, we I think we've kind of dodged around this a little bit and talked about it a little bit. But what do you think we've learned from watching Carol? Um, that perfection in cinema can be achieved. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, I, th- I, th- you know, it's it's interesting how, you know, we, you know, a lot of queer movies that we've seen or have seen um, are period films, and I think that it's very valuable to look at queerness throughout, you know, American history or you know the history of the world. But I also think that. Um, there's so many ways that like these like queer period films like don't really feel like modern in a way. I mean they do because they're like especially the ones that have been made like over the last, you know, twenty years, but like like this movie really feels like it has it this movie feels like it grapples with the dichotomy of like our modern sensibility and the the time period that it's set in. Mm-hmm. And how like it and how, like, Todd Haynes, I think, 
allows for both, you know, 2015 and 1954 to have a conversation with each other about, mm-hmm. you know, like what, um, you know, what queerness was like and what it's like now and, and how, like, these characters are almost, are acting so independently in a way that is feels so anachronistic to the time, but... Mm-hmm you know, is something that we can relate to. So I I think just, like, how, like, queerness... Like, just, like, how, like, queerness has, has changed over the last, you know, 60 years, I guess, or 70 years now, I guess. But, mm-hmm. like, um, I don't know, just... It's, it's hard for me to art- articulate exactly what I mean, but just this, like, idea of, you know... I mean, like, this movie's a very different kind of period film than I think most period films are. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Um, for me, I, I'm going to kind of steal from something you said earlier. Because uh, I do, you know, you kind of, you know, joked it off after you said it. Uh, but I do think this film is revolutionary. Um, yeah. And I think it is, what I've learned from watching this is that a film can be quiet and radical at the same yeah. time. Um, and that is so rare and so hard to balance. It's, I mean, I think it's relatively easy to make a quiet film and I think it's relatively easy to make a radical, loud, bombastic film, but you have, you know, you mentioned earlier too, that this is a story about repression and to make a repressive story. Radical is truly a gift. Uh, and I think, I think what Todd Haynes did here is just short of a miracle. Like this is every time I watch it, I, there's movies that I've watched a bunch of times and I always kind of in the back of my mind expect like, okay, this is the time the magic goes away. This is the time where I'm like, not going to be affected by it, but I watched it again. And I'm just like, Nope, that this is just, this sticks and it, and it really hits all of its marks. There's not a single moment that feels ingenuine or false at all. Um, and we kind of talked about in terms of patriarchal filmmaking, it's really interesting that this movie, of course a gay man, but this movie was still made by a man, but it just like, it just lobs bomb after bomb at patriarchal filmmaking and never misses. And it's just yeah. truly, truly impressive to watch and truly impressive on each rewatch. Yeah, I mean, this movie is just going to reveal more as time goes on, and, yep. you know, I think it will watch this movie as a Therese, and they'll watch it as Carol, and it'll be totally different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, absolutely. In terms of, like, how we're, you know, getting older and stuff, and more experience, mm-hmm. and yeah. Oh, man, I could go on about this movie, but I feel like we should wrap up. <laughs> yes, I think this is our longest episode to date, which is not a surprise, yeah. uh, given that Carol we both had a, had a lot to say. Um, so we're going to close off here. Um, in our next episode, we're covering 2016, and it's interesting. Sometimes uh, we have to really search for a gay movie, and sometimes there's an, an embarrassment of riches. So 2016, we're going to do a double episode on The Handmaiden and Moonlight. Um, so uh, stay tuned for that in a couple weeks. Uh, until then, uh, Manish, why don't you tell them where they can find you online? You can find me on Twitter at the Manish89. That's T H E M A N I S H eight nine. Also, uh, my podcast, uh, It Pod to Be You, which you can find at It Pod to Be You on Twitter. Yes, and if you'd like to see more of our work and other podcasts, this is a Talk Film Society podcast, so check out uh, Talk Film Society. We have a website and, of course, we're on Twitter, um, so check that out. And you can find me at Dave A. Giannini on Twitter. That really complicated Italian last name is spelled G-I-A-N-N-I-N-I. I'm so and I'll